Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 43 of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. This is another friendly reminder to all of our listeners to go and vote on our website for the drama that you want us to discuss next. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at Kathy at chasingdramas.com. This podcast episode will consist of a drama episode recap, and then we'll move on to the history and culture portrayed in this episode. In the last episode, our main character Wei Yingluo has decided that she needs to take revenge against Chun Guifei, who not only harmed her good friend Mingyu, but is now suspected to have been involved in the Seventh Prince and ultimately the late Empress's death. Because Yingluo is just a lowly maid with no power or connections, the only way to amass power is by becoming a woman of the Emperor. So, with some clever scheming, she successfully gets named Noble Lady Wei or Wei Guiren after a rock star performance at the Empress Dowager's birthday. We now return to the present day where it's time to see Yingluo take hold in the palace. In episode 43, the new Empress assigns Wei Yingluo to live in Yanxi Gong, quite a ways away from the palace center. We will talk about this palace placement and history later in today's episode. The Empress is quite happy to see this development because it helps balance out the power of favor in the palace. Right now, Chun Guifei has the most favor by the Emperor, so it's good for the new Empress to have someone to take some of that away. Meanwhile, Chun Guifei is already voicing her serious displeasure with Wei Yingluo. Yufei, mother of the fifth prince, and who now has become quite close with Chun Guifei, is uncharacteristically harsh towards Yingluo as well, saying all manner of degrading things. The two of them have their eyes open on what they can do to bring Wei Yingluo down. When the imperial family returns from Yuan Mingyuan, Yingluo goes to see her new home base. It is a destitute spot that is in dire need of a cleaning. The staff she gets assigned with includes former colleagues Hu Po and Zhen Zhu, who worked with Yingluo and Mingyu back in Changchun Palace with the late Empress. While Zhen Zhu is respectful to Yingluo, Hu Po is less so. She thinks that because they all work together under the late Empress, she is able to speak directly towards and at Yingluo and call her by her first name. This Hu Po character does not respect Yingluo whatsoever. This is already a test for Yingluo who recognizes that she cannot openly punish Hu Po because that would harm her reputation. But in a surprise turn, it is Yingluo that tells the now feisty again Mingyu that they need to learn patience in the palace. Patience is key to being able to strike that satisfying blow when the time is right. Now, the most important thing Yingluo needs to do is to garner the emperor's attention. Without it, there's really nothing for Yingluo to work with. 
He has neglected seeing her at all since they returned to the Forbidden Palace from Yuan Ming Yuan, and so the games begin. Yingluo is quite clever in recognizing that she should not go directly to the emperor and seek him out. Instead, she goes over to the Empress Dowager. She is honestly taking a lot of leaves out of the book from Zhen Huan Zhuan. We know quite well in that drama that for some people who want to survive in the palace, the emperor is not the only way to do so. We saw Shen Mei Zhuang ally herself with the Empress Dowager, and she was able to do quite well uh, for herself. And so this is certainly a tactic that Yingluo has decided to go with as well. Wei Yingluo is able to bring laughter to Shou Kanggong, where the Empress Dowager lives, by dressing up and telling fun stories to the aged woman. One day, the Emperor bumps into Yingluo dressed up as a male storyteller telling her fun stories to the Empress Dowager. He is surprised to see her and tells her to leave for being out of decorum. However, after she leaves though, the Empress Dowager praises Yingluo for her unique ability to bring a smile to her face. Yingluo continues to tell stories every day, and every day when she leaves, she's ignored by the emperor when the emperor walks by to visit his mother. This goes on for about a month, and Yingluo decides that, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm not going to go. She tells Mingyu to take a day off from the Empress Dowager as she is, ahem, sick. We next see the emperor working at his desk, and without even looking up from his book, asks his head eunuch Li Yu if he asked. Li Yu's like, asked about what? And then with a piercing glare from the emperor, Li Yu chuckles and responds, oh, um, noble lady Wei has fallen ill. Sick? The emperor's like, who asked about her? <laughs> the emperor clearly has too much pride and ego to want to let go, but is still rather worried about Ying Luo. After about one second of thought, he decides to get up and go for a walk. At Yanxigong, Wei Yingluo is quote-unquote sick, and Hu Po has arrived to bring her medicine. But this Hu Po character is extremely disrespectful towards Yingluo and demeaning towards her. She even tries to take Yingluo's medicine from her hands when Yingluo tries to tell Hu Po to be more respectful. Unluckily for Hu Po though, this exchange is overheard and witnessed by the Emperor, who is furious at Hu Po's disrespect for Wei Yingluo. This maid is ordered to be beaten 80 times and then banished to Xinzhu Ku. What's important here is that it was the Emperor who punished Hu Po because of her disrespect for his concubine not necessarily because it was Wei Yingluo. But due to this little show that Yingluo orchestrated, she not only was able to capture the attention of the emperor, but also establish authority in her palace with the help of the emperor. Still does not see Yingluo, it's clear that Yingluo has fully captured the emperor's attention. That night, the emperor heads over to see Yingluo and after all of this planning, she successfully becomes a woman of the emperor. Hook, line, and sinker. But despite all of the gifts that she received the morning after, she knows full well that this is just the first step to establishing her foothold in the palace. 
With Yinglo gaining so much attention from the emperor, the rest of the ladies are sure to be jealous. It is not surprising because apparently the emperor spent the night with her for three nights in a row. That is unheard of in the palace. And sure enough, at the daily greeting with the empress, the majority of the ladies in the palace, except for Qin Guiyan and the empress herself, are chewing out Ying Luo for not following protocol and being too stuck up. For that morning in particular, Ying Luo has not even arrived to greet the empress. That just shows how highly she thinks of herself. All of this conversation and back and forth deeply amuses the empress as Yingluo arrives shortly after with a glass full of morning dew water she collected. Apparently, Yingluo arrived that morning before the empress even woke up. And because it would take some time for the empress to get ready, Yingluo decided to go collect some dew water for the empress to drink tea. After Yingluo arrived with this explanation, this was a huge slap in the face to all of the women who just mouthed off at her. The Empress, having seen her show, motions for the ladies to leave. Privately, she finds this whole thing quite hilarious because she relishes in watching other people destroy each other. That way, she doesn't have to dirty her own hands. As for who will be Yingluo's next obstacle, it's going to be Xiao Jiapin. She is the younger sister of the deceased Jiapin and mother of the fourth prince. Outside of Chun Guifei, she is quite favored in the palace, but has none of the patience and grace of Ying Luo or Chun Guifei. Instead, she is overtly domineering and aggressive towards Ying Luo when they first meet, and she becomes increasingly angry and distraught as Ying Luo manages to steer the emperor away from her towards Ying Luo's own palace, thereby reducing her favor. We will see in the next few episodes how Ying Luo squares off against Xiao Jiapin. Let's move on to some history. Today is actually really quite fun because we will start off discussing the titular palace that Wei Yingluo now calls home, Yanxi Gong or Yanxi Palace. Finally, after however many episodes, 43 episodes, we finally understand why it's called Yanxi Gong Lue. The palace itself was constructed in 1420 during the Ming Dynasty and had the name of Chang Shou Gong, which means longevity. The name was changed to Yan Qi Gong in 1535, and then finally Yan Qi Gong during the Qing Dynasty in 1686, when it was renovated. The name Yan Xi represents Ying Fu Qing Xi Ji, or to welcome in luck and happiness. It is one of the six main palaces in the eastern part of Zijingcheng, or the Forbidden Palace situated in the northeastern corner of the palace. This wasn't a very favored palace because of its rather far location from the emperor's main sleeping quarters of Yangxing Dian. Due to the distance to the emperor, it is thought that mainly lower-ranking consorts and concubines lived there. There's only a short list of women who resided in Yanxi Palace during the Qing Dynasty, and all didn't capture much attention from the emperors. 
In Chen Huan Zhuan, or Empresses in the Palace, you'll remember that An Lingrong lived here. We, of course, now have Wei Yingluo live in this palace. These are, of course, all fictitious characters. We were doing some research and it looks like Wei Yingluo probably did live at Yanxi Palace, but only for a short while. This would most likely be due to her background as a Bao Yi and a lowly noble lady at that. When Wei Yingluo rose through the ranks, she actually moved to Chu Xiugong, which is in the western part of the palace and closer to the emperor. Now let's talk about the architecture of this palace. The architecture and build of the original Yan Xiugong was pretty similar to the other five palaces nearby, with two courtyards. The front courtyard had five rooms with three side rooms to the east and west, and the inner courtyard also had a similar five rooms with three side rooms to the east and west. The roofing was all yellow glazed tiles that we also kind of see in the drama. The problem with this palace is that it was very prone to fires. After it was rebuilt in the 17th century, there were at least four notable fires at the palace. The fire in 1845 basically destroyed the whole building with only the front door still intact. One of Emperor Daoguang's concubines, Qian Pin, who was living there, unfortunately also perished in that fire. Emperor Tongzhi requested a renovation of this palace in 1872, but was denied due to the exorbitant funds that would be needed to renovate the palace. In 1909, just three years before the fall of the Qing Dynasty, Empress Dowager Longyu Taihou ordered the renovation of the palace and the construction of a three-story western-style building that was going to be called Shui Dian, or a water palace. The intention was to build a sort of crystal palace that would be constructed with glass as the walls and metal supports and water that would be redirected from a nearby spring to surround the small palace. Because the original palace of Yan Xigong was so prone to fires, the thought was to build something with water to prevent more fires. It was during this renovation that electricity and heat was also added to this palace. Unfortunately, due to the lack of government funds and also the demise of a whole dynasty, this crystal palace was never completed. However, you can still see it today. It's kind of jarring because it takes up the whole front courtyard and you can see that it really wasn't finished. White marble was used instead for the walls and there's this awkward metal skeleton for the pagodas at the top of the structure. Nevertheless, it is a very interesting example of Western influences in China, especially with the architecture of this crystal palace. What's interesting is that this specific palace itself in Beijing was not a top tourist destination. And honestly, there's not much there to look at except for this half completed structure. But due to the wild success and popularity of the story of Yanxi Palace and Rui's love in the palace, many tourists head there today to go see the famed Yanxi Gong. It did reopen after shutting down during COVID, so now tourists can go and enjoy this famed palace. Now, filming of Yanxi Gong for this drama took place in Hengdian in the southeast part of China, only a few hours away from Shanghai, and we've talked about Hengdian before. 
A Forbidden Palace was essentially recreated and rebuilt at this film lot and is where many, many Ming and Qing Dynasty dramas now film. So Empresses in the Palace and this drama, the story of Yanxi Palace, were all filmed at this uh, studio lot. Nowadays, you as a tourist can also tour the sets and people have taken plenty of photos where the characters were during the specific scenes of this drama. However, I will say the Yanxi Gong in the drama is nothing like the Yanxi Palace in Beijing. However, that's not a big deal because, well, the current Yanxi Palace in Beijing also didn't look anything like it did during Qianlong's reign because, as I said, there's this whole modern-ish Western structure and the original buildings were all burned down in 1845. So we'll just take what we get from the drama, um, the story of Yanxi Palace. We'll just you know keep that in mind. But don't expect if you ever travel over to Beijing to go see the palace to see something similar to what we have in the drama. Now let's move on to costumes, which we've been focusing a lot more on um, in the last couple of episodes. In this episode, we see Wei Yingluo wearing a completely new wardrobe to match her status as a noble lady. Let's talk about a couple of highlights. I will apologize up front because I am not a fashion historian, so if I butcher some of the names of the clothing types, please give me a pass, also especially as we try to translate them. When Yingluo first enters Yanxi Palace, she is wearing a beautiful cloak with a very unique shoulder design. That is called a Yunjian Pifeng. We've definitely seen other ladies in the Imperial Palace wear such a cloak, but since we now have Wei Yingluo wear these, let's talk about them. While Yunjian translates to cloud shoulder, there are two ways of wearing this. The first is the type that would be worn over a piece of clothing, as we have with a cloak or how Wei Yingluo wears what looks like a kind of feathered collar later in this episode when she greets the Empress. The second is to have the clouds embroidered as part of the outfit. That is essentially what we see Mingyu wear. Yunjian has long roots in Han culture that we can see in paintings dating back as far as the Tang Dynasty, so 7th century. They are the first type, which the Yunjian is worn on top of the blouse. Then we have the Yunjian that originated around the Yuan Dynasty that was sewn into the blouse. Then finally, we have the more commonly known Yunjian that originated during the end of the Ming Dynasty. That is like the shoulder shawl that covers the shoulders. The original purpose was to protect the rest of the blouse from any oils that were used for hair products. Now the issue is that Yunjian were typically worn by Han women and the colors that Manchu or Qi women wore were different. If we look at what Chun Guifei and Shu Pin are wearing in this episode, they don't really have any embroidery on their collars, which is more in line, or which was more in line with Manchu styles. The Empress's head maid also has a collar or embroidery along the uh, neck of her blouse, which was definitely the most common Manchu style. And what I mean by that is that you see the buttons that act as clasps for the blouse and there are embroidery lines along those buttons and that is the Manchu style. The Yunjian style that we see most women in the drama wear, which in this episode also includes Jiapin towards the end of the episode, didn't really come into fashion for Manchu women until the end of the Qing Dynasty. 
I'm over here reading several articles criticizing the costume designs for most of the women here in the drama when it comes to Yunjian because they wouldn't have been as prevalent in the imperial harem during this time. It doesn't mean that Manchu women didn't wear them, it just wasn't as popular. For this drama, we see all of the women wear some type of yunjian or some type of the shoulder shawl that Wei Yinglo wears in this episode. And that is just not um, historically accurate in the sense that not that many Manchu women wore it, especially during Tianlong's reign. However, that doesn't mean that the costume designers didn't do their research. It's just that many of the pieces of clothing they recreated were from later in the Qing Dynasty. Now this is especially true for the outfit that Wei Yingluo wears when she greets the Empress and her subsequent encounter with Xia Pin. This, the outfit, is called a Lan Di Xiu Xian Tao Tuan Hua Wen, or a blue base with peach sewn on it. Now her outfit is what was considered a Manchu and Han mix style because you can clearly see the Yunjian on the top of her dress, which is like, you know, kind of all the layers. And then you see on the side the embroidery for the Manchu style underneath. There is a painting of Emperor Dao Guang's Empress wearing this exact same style of clothing. She just lived in the 19th century instead of the 18th. Another costume that needs to be called out is the beautiful outfit that Wei Yingluo wears when she first arrives at Yan Xi Gong and takes off the cloak. It is a beautiful blue piece that we will call the Chunqing Xiu Tuanhua. It's a lighter shade of blue, and I suspect this was an attempt to recreate something similar to a painting that has survived of Wei Yingluo's historical counterpart. The woman in the painting is wearing a similar light shade of blue with flowers embroidered on her shoulders. This painting is among a collection of Qing Dynasty paintings and is one of a few of hers that survive to this day. Perhaps that is why a lot of Wei Yingluo's wardrobe as she rises uh, through the ranks is blue. That's just our speculation. And lastly, we have a couple of scenes of Wei Yingluo's nightgown, which is a Huangdi Xiujuhua, or a yellow base with chrysanthemum flowers. Now that is it for today's podcast episode. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head over to our sponsor, Jubao TV. That's J-U-B-A-O TV. It's a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo, XUMO, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. They've also recently launched on Plex. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you all in the next podcast episode.